Got back last night from Israel, incredible trip. Wish that you would have been there. But as we tour around and spend almost a weekend in Jerusalem proper, uh, there's a valley that we drove past every day. Beautiful. It's a garden, rock formations. It's green. It's incredible. It's called the Valley of, of Hinnom, or in the Greek, the Valley of Gehenna. And that word is translated in the New Testament as hell. In Jesus' day, when he walked here, it was a garbage dump. And on one end was just regular garbage. And there was so much there that it would spontaneously combust. And so 24 hours, it was on fire. At the other end of the valley was organic waste. Dead bodies, animals, people, just hyper-nasty, maggots everywhere. And Jesus points at Gehenna and said, it is hell, and hell is a place where the fire never goes out and the worm never dies. That's what he was talking about. See, hell, it, it was, as illustrated, was a place of waste. I would go this far, that hell is a place of wasted lives, missed potential, opportunities that were never taken. And in our history in the American church, as you look back, there was a season when when there was a lot more fear of God in the people of God. If you're a little older, you remember that. But if you're young, you don't ever remember a time where people had any fear of God. Now, the, you know, 30, 40, 50, 100 years ago, when we preached on hell, people were afraid and they turned to God. And actually, the scripture says in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1 that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Maybe the reason it seems that America doesn't have any wisdom anymore is because we don't have the fear of God anymore. Because just look at what we're doing. You think people can't be that stupid. They can. And they are. And so, uh, you know, now we don't talk about hell much. My fault. Because who wants to hear a depressing sermon on hell? I mean, nobody gets fired up. wonder what he's preaching on hell. Oh, let's hurry. Let's get dressed. It's going to be off the chart. No, 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 no. And no, nobody, it's depressing. But, but let me tell you what hell should do. Hell should light a fire in every follower of Jesus. It ought to light a fire. Regardless, you know, uh, regardless that the, the American culture is no longer afraid or has fear of God, it doesn't scare non-believers. It should motivate us into action. Hell ought to motivate those of us that believe. We that believe the scriptures that there is a heaven and there's hell should be motivated. Because we know that hell is real because Jesus said it was. And we also know people that are going there. Would you all agree with that? So the question this weekend, let's think about, is does the reality of hell affect you into sharing God's story and your story of redemption your testimony, what God has done in your life. Father, we come to you now, the God, the King, the Lord, the ruler, the master, and we come and we ask you to light a fire in faith promise, but light an individual fire and a burden in every single one of us, that it would get us out of our complacence, our apathy, and move us into far greater action. Lord, there is a heaven to gain. And there's a hell to shun. Use us to make an eternal difference in everybody we come in contact with. 
In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Welcome, Promisers, all of our campuses. Incredible to be with you. We love you, miss you. Michelle and I I did while we were in Israel. It is a life-changing trip. The next trip, we'll probably do two buses, is October 2023. If you think you might want information, if you'll let my assistant Jody know, she'll give that to you. But while standing in Jerusalem, I was just reminded again that when you read the words of Jesus, he spoke so much more about judgment and hell than he ever spoke on heaven. He was always warning people. It just, I mean, he never backstroke from it. A recent Pew Research study survey in America, 73% of Americans believe that there's a heaven and most of them believe that they're going there. 63, 62% of, of that same survey group said they believe in hell, and very few of them believed they were going there. But Jesus in John 3, dealing with one of the spiritual heroes, one of the great leaders in Israel, Nicodemus, who was questioning and wondering, went to Jesus at night and began asking him about going to heaven. And Jesus said in John 3, 3, he said, truly I say to you, Unless someone is born again, he will not see the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus is freaked out, blown away, can't believe it. And that's when Jesus goes into about the second birth and born of the water and born of flesh in John 3.16. So does anybody believe, believe that heaven is real? Does anybody believe that? Let me hear you. Anybody, come on, all our campus. Come on, Farragut. Come on. So if we believe that heaven is real, and we believe that hell is real, what else matters? What else matters? So let me tell you where I think that we are as a congregation. I don't think the bulk of us this weekend, whether you're online or in person, I don't think that you are trapped in some evil, wicked sin, although there are some of us that are. But that's not where the bulk of us are. Can I just say where most of us are? We're just distracted. We're distracted with this rat race, with the busy pace, with all that we have to do. But if heaven and hell is real, that should impact everything that we do. Are you with me? It shouldn't take a trip to Israel to remind me. Really, it should dominate our daily thinking, heaven and hell. We ought to wake up thinking about it, go to bed thinking about it. Would y'all agree with that? Would y'all agree with that? But if we could just be honest, very few of us do. Is that right? Why? Because we're distracted and the devil is the greatest distractor of all of eternity. Now, Jesus said the same thing that was said in the Old Testament. The Bible is clear. Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, except you repent, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Old Testament, New Testament, from Genesis through the book of Revelation, we are called to repent. And so Jesus tells a story, and it is a very, very, very difficult story. It's a story about heaven, and it's a story about hell. We find it in Luke chapter 16, picking it up in verse 19. If you've been around church, you've heard this story. If you haven't, it's going to be your first time And it's just a difficult story because we don't want to think about hell. But Jesus really paints a picture of what hell is like. Now, there was a rich man, 
and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. In the, the rich man in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. Now, you should just count how many times agony and torment are used between verses 19 and verses 31. He saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. Can I tell you something? <clears throat> One of the most horrific things about hell is you'll be able to see heaven. You'll be able to see what you missed. Because the rich man is in hell and he sees that. And he cried out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. That's horrible. Horrible. I'm in agony in these flames. And, and, uh, and he said, Child, Abraham said, Child, remember. Remember is a horrible word in hell. Child, remember that during your life you receive good things. And likewise, Lazarus, bad things. But now he's being comforted here and you are in agony. There it is again. And besides all this, there is between us and you a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. And then one of my favorite evangelistic verses, watch this. Then he said to him, then I beg you, Father, that you send him, Lazarus, to my father's house. Why? For I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Or they have the Old Testament. They have, they have the word. Let them hear him. But he said, no, Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. And Jesus did, and they still weren't persuaded. Are you with me? Now, if you read commentaries about this passage, there, there will be a little debate between commentators. Some will say this is a parable. <clears throat> a parable is a story that Jesus makes up to teach a spiritual emphasis, a lesson. A story is a real, in fact, event in, in, in somebody's life. I believe that this is not a parable. I believe that this is an actual story. Why? Because in a parable, no one's name is ever given. In a parable, it's like in a land, in a time, far, far in, a, in a land far, far away. You know, once upon a time, this is we got this poor dude, his name is Lazarus, got this lost rich guy, and we got Abraham. So what Jesus does is he conveys some spiritual truths about two men going through two doors after death. And there's so much that we can glean. I mean, you can spend months in this passage. But, but let me tell you, there are two doors. There are not three doors. There, are not, there is not one door. There are two doors upon death. The Bible says, it's appointed that a man wants to die and then the judgment. There's no second opportunities. 
listen to me, there's no second chances. There's no, well, I'll wait till I get near, I'll see the traffic accident coming, and I'll repent then. That's really, really, really an ugly gamble. Because you don't even know that you would repent then. So verse 22, now the poor man died, was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man died, and he was buried, and in Hades he lifted up his eyes. Now, the, the, the poor man is carried to heaven. Let me stop and tell you something about the Bible that you always have to realize. The Bible is a book written primarily by Jews, to Jews, for Jews. Believing that you have a certain set of information, knowledge, and cultural that you do not have. The Bible is also not a director's script for a movie with every detail in it. God loves to leave out the details because there's a sense of humor. So when you read this story, you're, you're, you're basically getting a few verses about two men's whole lives in heaven and hell. I, why do I tell you that? <clears throat> because Lazarus didn't get to go to heaven because life sucked here. There are a lot of people whose lives suck here that are going to hell because they did not repent. Remember, Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The Bible is not a director script. It is episodal. It's episodes. It is snapshots, Polaroid snapshots of truth that you can learn and glean from. So what we know that is not written is somewhere Lazarus repented of his sin. Because if Lazarus had not repented, he would not be in Abraham's bosom. He'd be next door neighbor with the rich dude in hell. Does that make sense? So Lazarus is taken to Abraham's bosom, translated heaven or paradise, and, and the rich dude's going somewhere else. Verse 23, in Hades, lifting up his eyes, being in torment, and he saw Abraham again. He's in hell looking into heaven, far away, and Lazarus in his bosom cried out, said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip his finger in water and cool off my tongue for I'm in agony in this flame. Now, <clears throat> the, we, we don't know the rich guy's name because his life was wasted. He's in hell. He wasted his life. He is in what, where it says he's in Hades, the Greek word is hadas, which translated the lower regions or hell, a place of for death of unrighteous souls. And that's what this guy was because he never put his faith in God. He never repented. So what, what I want to do is pull out a couple things about hell. Number one, hell's going to be a place of pain. Are you with me? I'm in agony. I'm in agony. I'm in torment. I'm in agony. I'm in agony. It's going to be a place. <clears throat> now think about how many times that you saw, that if you read the four gospels, Jesus shows up and who's the, first, who's the first group of people in every city to recognize him? The demons. And what do they say? We know you. You're Jesus. You're the son of the most high God. And they ask a follow-up question. Have you come to torment us before our time? The demons knew about hell. They knew that it was a place of torment. They knew that hell was horrible. Hell was not created for us. It was created for the devil and the fallen angels that left heaven with him. It's called the lake of fire and brimstone. Now, if anybody's ever been burned, you know it's painful. Is that right? I mean, it's, it's horrible. And I was working construction years ago, and I was, uh, I, I was building something, and I needed some more steel. So I got on the bobcat. I picked a, put a acetylene torch on it. 
drove out to the scrap pile and I was cutting some scrap that I needed. Now, <clears throat> I had everything I needed for protection. Believers, we have everything that we need for protection, but I wasn't paying attention. So I'm out there working and my, my, my pants had started coming up. Well, I mean, I had leather, I had leather sleeves on to cut or to weld with, and I had boots that, that but what happened was my pants came up and I'm sitting there cutting and a piece of slag about the size of a quarter hit my pants and landed right inside the tongue of my boot and worked right down into my leg. Now, let me tell you, it looked like I was having a holy hoedown because I was dancing all over that place. I could not get that boot off fast enough. Are you with me? I took the boot off that metal had cooked through my sock and cooked into my leg. And so, that see, sin, it seemed so easy at first. And I had to pull my sock down, get my knife out, and dig that piece of slag that had melted into my skin. Are y'all with me? Can you imagine how that hurt? Hell is a place of pain. Be there, no question. It doesn't matter that it's not politically correct. It doesn't matter. Hell is a place of pain. It's a place of punishment. Look at verse 25. And Abraham said, shall remember that during your life you received your good things and Lazarus bad things. Now he is being comforted and you're in agony. The, again, like I said, remember is one of the ugliest words in hell. Because what, what, is, what, is what is he telling the rich man? Hey, remember, you had an opportunity to repent and you didn't. Remember, you had an opportunity to serve. Hey, by the way, Lazarus lived at your gate. You didn't feed him. You didn't care for him. You didn't do anything for him. He had an opportunity to serve, and he passed it up. Easter's coming. All hands on deck. All hands on deck. And you need to, if you're not serving, take that card, fill it out, put it in the offering bucket. You need to serve. Saints, serve. But see, this guy hadn't repented. He was not a believer. He didn't care that Lazarus was starving at his gate and the dogs were licking his swords. He didn't care. And so, man, you got to remember, you had opportunities. Remember, you could have served. Remember, you could have given. Remember, you could have participated. Remember, you could have repented and you said no. We're warned in Romans chapter one. It says this, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Let me tell you what we do. We suppress the truth we don't like. Are you with me? We suppress the truth, we, and we don't like hell, so we suppress it. Do not allow your flesh to, to suppress the truth of Scripture. Faith promise, this is our day. We have an opportunity to make an eternal difference now. Are you with me? I mean, we've got, an, we've got tons of Easter services. We've got an opportunity. You say, well, my, my lost family and friends don't live anywhere in East Tennessee. We have an online campus you can invite them to. So place, it, hell's a place of pain. It's also a place of hopelessness. Look at verse 26. And, and, and Abraham says, hey, besides all this, between us and you, there's a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you 
will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. Listen, you can look around every campus. If you're, if you're in one of our campuses live this morning, look around the room. You see red exit signs. They're, they're run by electricity, but they're also battery powered. If something horrible to happen, a storm, an earthquake, a fire, whatever, and the power went out, you could still look and see how to get out of the building and escape. In hell, there are no exit signs. There are no ways out. There, there, there is no second chance. Are you with me? It's just, man, it is a place of hopelessness. He also said, verse 26, so that those who wish to come up from there to us cannot, who are those? Who are the those that are with the rich man in hell? Because see, everybody wants out. There's not a way out. But who are the those who create the crowds in hell? So the scripture, Abraham said there's a mega in the Greek, literally mega chasm. Nobody can go to help and nobody can escape to here. So who's going to be in hell? Well, Mussolini, Mao, Hitler, the evil, wicked despots of the world who, who maimed and killed. Well, they'll probably be there, but there'll be more. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, we're all born unrighteous and we must repent and put our faith in Jesus to become righteous, his righteousness. None will inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. And here's where people all over this weekend at church, all over America are deceived. Look what it says. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's, that's ugly. He said, and by the way, such were some of you. That's what you used to be. Come on, are y'all with me? That was, man, I used to be in that group, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of God. Listen, you were there, but you're not. Romans twenty fifteen says, and then whoever's name in anyone, if their name is not found in the Lamb's book of life, they will not go to heaven, but they will find their place in, in, in hell, the lake of fire and brimstone. Anybody, your good neighbor, your, your, your people that you know, coworkers and teammates who do not know Jesus. Are you with me? And, and, and what I, I love, again, what so motivates me about this is the cry of a burden from hell. 27. Uh, yeah, verse 27. He says this. Then I beg you that you send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. It's too late to be burdened about lost people after people are dead. Are you with me? Well, all we got is today. So a guy from hell is shouting to heaven, organize, agonize, evangelize, go house to house, door to door, cubicle to cubicle, teammate to teammate, classmate to classmate, coworker to coworker. He said, listen, please, please, please warn people that are not yet dead so that they don't, they don't come to this place of torment. Isn't it crazy that people in hell are more burdened than people that are going to heaven? Are y'all with me? I did a funeral 
Young man, overdose. Mom and dad attended here, loved the Lord. Had two sons, both of them were drug addicts. The younger one in his early 20s overdosed and died. We did the funeral, it was a graveside. And I said in the funeral, I called the young man's name, and I said, if he could speak to us, he would tell us today to repent and turn to Jesus. And the brother said, no, he would not either. Fear, anger, screaming at me at the funeral. I said, if you'll wait right after this service, I'll prove to you. And I would have read him this verse. Said, your brother's in hell. He does not want you to go there. Are you with me? This stuff's real, gang. It's too late to be burdened. Don't assume your family and friends are going to heaven. Man, it should be obvious, but don't assume it. It's time for us to get in gear. Is anybody with me? Easter is an incredible opportunity. Man, there's a card in your seat that says house to house. Put the names of people that you're praying for, that you want to see saved. Put them down there. Bring them to these crosses in just a few minutes and ask God to get a hold of them. You said, I've invited them before. Keep on inviting. I witnessed my brother for 30-something years until in jail I led him to Jesus. And he is an on-fire radical Jesus follower today. Write these names down. When you leave, grab some of these and invite people. Listen, don't say no for somebody that's going to hell. You let them say no for themselves. And we're going to be praying for people. We're going to be praying for each other. Man, we're going to man, pour it on about God. Let me give you one other thought. <clears throat> I believe there's going to be a cross in front of the gates of hell. He said, no, Father Abraham, but, they'll, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. He said, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to listen to any, even if someone rises from the dead. Here's the deal, church. We're going to get burdened about people far from God. And we are going to make sure that if they're around us and they're going to go to hell, they're going to have to climb over us, dig underneath us. They're going to have to get around us. They're going to have to push through us. They're going to have to fight us because this church was birthed with a burden. We are going to make it hard to go to hell from everybody that we know. Come on, somebody. And so, man, we're, man, we're going to do it. We're, we're, we're going to do it. We get, let me show you just how easy this is. Caleb is one of our volunteers. He's a worship leader, plays keyboards and sings. Look how God used him the same way he wants to use you. So one night about six months ago, I was at Adopo Pizza with my girlfriend for a dinner date. And that week, um, I feel like God was telling me to start coming to him and asking for people to love. And I just prayed, um, God, I pray that you give Kendall and I someone to love this week, uh, kind of generically. And God said, be more specific with your prayer. I said, God, we're not going to leave the store until you give us someone to pray, so, uh, to pray for, just to love. So I just pray that you would uh, give us someone right now. And as soon as I opened my eyes, uh, there was a little boy that was standing at the edge of the table with a little crayon. And he put it up on the desk and he just walked away. And so I was asking God, what can I do with this? Um, I know this is the person, um, it was so blatantly obviously because it was so random. Um, and I said, what can I do with this? And he said, um, to just draw a picture. So I started drawing him a little picture of a superhero and I ushered him back over here and I gave it to him and he took it back away uh, to his parents. And after dinner, his parents came back over to me and just said, 
um, hey, thank you for drawing that for me. They made the little boy thank, thank me for drawing him the picture. And it just opened a, opened a conversation, opened the door to a conversation. At the end of the conversation, I just asked him, I said, hey, we, uh, Kendall and I just love Jesus and we love people. Um, and we really want to pray for you or do anything we can for you um, to show you that we love you too. And so we got to pray with him right there in the store and just tell him that we loved him and that God's got a purpose for him. And that weekend, uh, I went back out as I did every other weekend to play the pad. And I got to see this dad uh, give his heart to the Lord and raise his hand. I love that because I think that if I hadn't been faithful and prayed the night before and praying that week for God to use me, or if I hadn't drawn that kid that picture, then uh, he might spend an eternity apart from the Lord. But just because I was, I mean, the faith of a mustard seed, I mean, as little faith as I could muster up, um, I was able to be obedient to the Lord that God was able to save this man. I mean, he'll spend an eternity with the Lord and he'll be able to lead his family into that too. I didn't do anything. Um, I just prayed that God would open the doors. Um, but he came through, he He gave me an opportunity. He changed someone's life. I couldn't change his heart, but God did. I mean, I just did the bare minimum possible, um, but God did the rest. Wow, so incredible. All he did was color a picture for a little boy at a restaurant and then invite a family to church. And they came and the rest is history. It's not, it's not rocket science, gang. It's just loving people. While Michelle and I were in Israel, Zach, Pat, uh, uh, River, Pastor Zach's son, fell in the playground of the Pellissippi campus and broke his arm, broke his wrist. So they take him to the doctor and they've got to do the x-rays and all that kind of stuff. And, and River's tough as a pine knot because, you know, Zach beats him. And so he's, <laughs> he's used to pain. And... The doctors cannot believe that he's not crying. His arm's broke. They can't believe it. So they set it, but they can't put a cast on it because it's too swollen. And the doctors and the nurses all just sick. Ah, he's so brave. So Rachel took him back the next day to get the cast. And the, the, the nurses and doctors saying the same thing. So Rachel told River, now understand River's four. And he said, now, if anybody else says to you, you're brave, Tell them why you're brave. Well, River's word for this year is brave. And tell them you're brave because of the verse, Jesus overcame the world. That's his verse for the year. You don't have to be an adult to have a word in a verse. And so the nurse came in and she looked and said, Little River, you're so brave. And his lip began to quiver because he was afraid. And he said, do you know why I'm brave? And she said, no. He said, because Jesus overcame the world. I'm brave. A nurse got down. She said, you have no idea how badly I needed to hear that today. If a four-year-old can be the light of the world, come on, faith promise, every one of us can step into that. All of us. So our prayer team is coming up. You can, you can bring the cards of names of people and put them at the foot of the cross in those chests because they're so important to God. Our staff, our campus staff is gonna be praying over them every day. You can come and light a light, uh, a candle, and say, Lord, light a fire in me. Now listen, last week, this turned into a youth camp at the North Knoxville campus because they had a bonfire down front. So for you non-smokers... You may not realize this, but 
When you get done lighting it, put the match in the sand. That's what it's for. We're not going to stack them all up like they did at North last weekend and sacrifice somebody. We're not doing that. But so the uh, the, so the praise team is going to come back out. Hey, listen, is it the will of God to light our fire? Is it the will of God to light our fire? Is it the will of God to? I'm praying for five hundred baptisms Easter week. Okay, listen, can that can God do it? We got to bring them. Father God, we ask you in the name of Jesus to light a fire, to send from heaven the fire as you did for Elijah and light our hearts up. You said we're the light of the world. A city set upon a hill cannot be hidden. Light us up. God, ignite us. Make us a bonfire that nobody can miss. Make us bold. God, fill us and use us. And let these next couple weeks be the greatest faith promises ever seen. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said.